everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And this is a brand new year, 2023, full of a variety of episodes. And if this is your first time in joining us, um, you can expect unscripted, unplanned, unrehearsed conversations between Molly and I, who have been married now. In Stop tapping your fingers. You're going to regret that noise. That's if I listen to the show. Back. You edit it. <laughs> um, we're yes, in we've our fifteenth year of marriage. We're in our fifteenth year, and we have four kids. Still in the middle of birthday season. If you're picking up from last year, no, we are not. Yes, we have me. That's not birthday season. That's oh. three months from yeah, now. Yeah, you're right. We're done with birthday season. So we have twelve, ten, eight, and four. Yes. Why does that gap seem so huge between eight and four? It, like at one minute it's, it's like three, and the next minute it's like okay, now it's four years. Yeah, that's how we didn't wait that long, did we? Well, we had a miscarriage. In I the know. Middle I just didn't think we took that long to whatever. Okay. Um, I was gonna say something. I forgot what I was gonna say already. This doesn't bode well. Yeah, it's okay. We'll get back into the swing of things from the holiday break. We're mm-hmm. we're fat. We're happy. Oh, full we, of cheese. Uh, Elise, you guys actually really wanted everyone out there to know that she turned eight yesterday, and that concluded birthday season for us, where we were in the awkward shift of mm-hmm. what ages our kids are, and tired of spending money, and tired of celebrating, and tired of cake. And she got a birthday dinner on Monday. Yesterday was Thursday, so she celebrated her birthday for, had a birthday play date today, celebrated her birthday for almost a week, and she wants everybody to know that she got a pogo stick for her birthday. <laughs> she wanted you to say that on the She did. Podcast. She asked me to let everybody out wow. there know that she got a pogo stick for her birthday. What a crazy kid. Yep. She's a she really crazy, crazy kid. It's really bright on my eyes. Oh, sorry. We have a light uh, between... Molly and I face each other, and there's this it's tilted. old lamp. It was tilted t- more towards me adjusted. than towards you. That's because the girls were in here playing around while I was working this yeah. morning. So uh, a funny thing about, you know a teacher, you see memes if you spend a lot of time on social media about teachers knowing way more about kids' families than the families yeah. would be comfortable with them knowing. So for this birthday play date that Elise had, I, I said I would pick up the two girls that we were having over if the moms could come get them later. And we spent a solid hour driving because we live on the far west end of town. One of the girls lives out in the country in the south end of town, and the other lives just north of the downtown. So I did this huge triangle of picking the girls up, which means that I spent about 40 minutes with eight-year-olds that are not my own in the car. And the... We're pulling out of the one, well, she's seven, she'll be eight in a month, the one girl's house. And she, and I said, oh, there's, oh, well, Lee saw a cat and she squealed because it was a very cute, fuzzy, gray cat with a bobbed tail. And the little girl proceeded to launch into, well, we used to have this many cats, but these, this one died falling off of a loft, rafters in the garage, and this one died because my dad drove over it, and then this one had <laughs> kittens, and then this one, you know, and then these kittens went away, and these kittens are afraid of us because they're outdoor cats because dad's allergic, and this one had kittens, and she kept saying it got mated and had kittens, and, um, and then... And by the way, you guys, if you don't know this about cats, JR and I, we have two cats, and I, it, it's actually, 
I learned this. I started researching this. This is a huge rabbit trail now. I started researching this when I was learning about the uh, physical importance in terms of heart, lungs, brain, bones for of going through puberty, of going through a natural puberty. And so putting a child on puberty blockers actually does not... It doesn't delay puberty, as they say, you know, it's just harmless delaying it. It's actually not only pumping them full of potentially toxic hormones that are going to screw up all sorts of things for the rest of their lives. It's also not letting their skeletal system develop properly in the way that it should in that season of life, as well as brain development. There's all sorts of really important things that happen during puberty. It's not just girls growing boobs and starting to have their period. It is very, very important physiological things. And I started thinking, wait a second, we neuter and spay dogs and cats when they're very young. I wonder if that has similar physical detriments to stopping the hormonal development. And and there are many people who believe that, in fact, it does. That neutering a dog, for example, before it's gone through the canine equivalent of puberty uh, compromises its bone structure. And so I actually delayed neutering our dog Maui until he was almost a year, but he was such a turd. <laughs> Finally, I was like, we're cutting him off. We're done. I, you're as developed as you're going to get because you are, <laughs> I mean, think teenage boy in dog form. He would actually run up to our kids outside in the snow and steal the mittens off of their hands and then run away. And nobody could do anything about it. They'd just stand there crying. So anyway, I was, we got the cats, I was trying to let the cats go for as long as possible so they could mature sexually and all the physical things that go along with that. When cats go into heat, they want to get bred. They want, they're in a creepy way, very eager to mate. And I mean, that, that hormonal drive is, is a little bit wild. And I won't go into any more of that because it, it's gross and weird how... The cats wanted mm-hmm. to get mated. Anyway, um, and cats also have a unique reproductive system in that the first time that a male is with them when they're desiring to be mated, that actually stimulates the release of eggs. So they don't can't actually get pregnant the first time they get mated uh, when they're in heat. <laughs> but then however many eggs there are, it's actually possible if a cat, if female cat is out and around, if she mates, if she, her body releases five eggs and she finds five male cats to mate with, it is actually possible that there could be five different fathers in that litter. So when you have a litter of cats and the cat has not been specifically bred to another cat to maintain a purebred genetic line, you can actually have a like two dark two black cats in a litter one tabby and one absolutely monstrous fluffy main coon looking thing and it is actually possible that that litter had three or four different fathers on that note you guys um our friends uh kim and uh pete up in whitefish have 13 puppies that they were not anticipating or planning for so if you're looking for a a guard dog. A guard shepherding sort of dog. They're uh, Burmese Mountain Dog and yeah. Akita. Is that what I think so. they are? Yeah, hit up uh, hit up Kim on our Telegram group. 
They'll probably They'd ship probably you one. We'd be really happy to <laughs> share a dog with you. Pete keeps asking when we're going to come get ours, and I said, <laughs> we're not. And our kids would go bonkers to have another puppy. But that requires fencing and training or... Yeah, we're not, we don't live wanna, a lifestyle to have a dog that. that's going to be protective. No. Um, anyway, so, so this little girl, I pick her up and she proceeds to go into all of the different cats and kittens that they have, uh, and their various trials and tribulations of being outdoor cats. And anyway, that kind of cracked me up. And then we went and picked the other girl up and then she started to talk about how her parents were going to mate their pet Corgi to a friend's dog that has... That's part Pomeranian and part Corgi or something. I don't know. She may not have all of her information correct, but she was very excited about the possibility of puppies from their female dog who was starting to go into heat. And all I could think was, this is such great biology. These girls are just living, living biology lessons. And they know where babies come from. And they know that it takes a boy and a girl. And just how incredibly crazily countercultural it is to have an animal that's not fixed so your kids understand where babies come from these days that uh, was a really long story to get to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no but really you yeah. just you can turn almost everything into an incredibly countercultural lesson in our current right. society today because our society is so unmoored from reality which interestingly enough this is not on the list of things Reality, I was going to talk about Molly, today. Is what you put is what is just what's real to you in your world. See, this is the thing, Jr. There are so many people who actually believe that. I feel Which like is why I make fun of them. I feel like here's the thing. I shouldn't though, be that mean though. I shouldn't it, make fun of them. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's not just a function of. I think we're beyond the point. You know, we used to laugh at snowflakes back when you guys had. Dead Reckoning and... Oh, actual... Okay, not actual people. snowflakes. No, no. <laughs> the first thing. We, we laugh at snowflakes. No, we don't. Snowflakes are cool. Oh, those kinds of snowflakes. <laughs> no, you know, we used to laugh at people right. who were easily triggered, and now we realize they're actually running the world. Oh, and yeah, um, I don't think that we have the luxury of laughing at people for whom uh, the world is is so plastic that they genuinely believe that they can and should be whatever they want to be. I don't think that we have the luxury of finding it humorous when someone is so unmoored from reality that they don't understand that the chicken on their plate was a chicken, a living being, or you know, just these things that we, we kind of gape open mouthed and you know watch on instagram these people who are so severed from reality but the fact of the matter is so the reason i'm going off on this is there's a carl truman article that i posted on our telegram channel the other day and there were two truman articles i think this is the first one that i shared but but this is actually going to be the one of the key breaking points in ours no it was the second one in our in our culture in the coming i don't i don't even know year two years decade i don't know but but i think it's incredibly important that we do these weirdly countercultural things like have our kids go outside like have our kids know where kittens come from <laughs> and in his article i'm just skimming it as fast as i can 
Um, I'll have JR post this on as in the show notes. This is a on public discourse. It's an article by Carl Truman called Apocalyptic Politics, Christianity and the New World Order. And he uses the terms I'm not prepared for this because I didn't expect to discuss this, but that's how... That's how we roll on the show, I realize that, so everyone's listening to me scroll in real life. But he uses a phrase, something about... Something like the reels with a capital R and the Mm -hmm. unreels with a capital U. And real man... R-E-A-L, not R-E-E-L. Yeah, real man versus virtual man. Those are the... That's the distinction that he draws. And, um... So he he says, for example, COVID restrictions highlighted this divide in a very painful way. Virtual man who works through his laptop and thus can work anywhere in general and nowhere in particular found COVID restrictions to be reasonable. Real man who has to go to work in a particular time in a particular place because he works with material, not virtual reality. That's not simply a vocational divide. It is an anthropological divide. Real man experiences the world and thus his sense of self in a fundamentally different way from virtual man. This is reflected in so many of the conflicts now straining Western democracy. And Mary Harrington has dubbed this the clash of the virtuals versus the class, the reals. And underneath this divide lies a conflict of anthropologies between a technologically liberated view of human beings as disembodied wills who can transcend the limitations of the materiality of the world that's a really long sentence (laughs) and the belief that embodiment and place are critical to survival and i wouldn't just say a belief that embodiment and place are critical to survival but that embodiment and place are critical to a sense of self a sense of what is real Hmm. Um, and I think that in so many ways, this is going to be a really deep, it already is, you know, the movie, oh, what's the movie with the group, with the blue people, the tall blue people. Avatar. Yes. Which so many people are saying the one that just came out is really good and promotes I've the, heard that too, promotes but I'm just the like, importance I, of fatherhood. Sorry. I the, spent a lot of time watching Fern Gully or Dances with with avatars or whatever you want to call it the first time and didn't enjoy it. So I'm not going to go back and watch it. it but but the, the idea there was, right, that that the, uh, the, the virtual world transcends the real world. Mm-hmm. It's a better place to find your reality. And the fact that they even considered it reality. Well, that's the push even on even on uh, in our in our current day and age like in, in the blockchain world for instance or metaverse or yeah the any, whole thing any push any push for and i'm thinking about uh, a childhood friend of mine who's developing a new uh, metaverse platform for music and the push there the idea being that that's better mm-hmm. that's better than now you know and here i am working in live music and sorry Listening to music or experiencing it in a virtual world is never going to uh, replicate in my lifetime or take over in my lifetime uh, as a better experience than doing something in person and in. See, I think we same room with other. I think we could go ahead and say not just in your lifetime, but physical embodiment in terms of being physically present with someone in terms of actually being in the great outdoors in terms of 
having a real cat sit on your lap instead of a fake cat in terms of uh, a real sexual relationship with your spouse instead of pornography, Uh, eating real good food instead of processed garbage that's engineered to taste good. Um, All of these things are inherently better because they are real. And I think that we're... So what Truman actually says later on in there is is that this philosophical divide, we are going to be in the minority and we are going yep. to be excluded from membership in the public sphere because of that, uh, because of holding fast to that belief. But because of our biblical worldview that this is how God created us and that God created the created world to be good and for us to be inherently connected to it, to the food we eat, to the ground we walk on, to the people that we're physically present with. And God honored that first by making the world, secondly, by calling it good, and thirdly, by sending his son to become part of that world, and fourth, by promising that he's going to redeem it and make it last forever in a glorified way, right? So all of these things tell us the created world is good. Our bodies are good. Being with other people is good. That is going to make us be increasingly marginalized in the public sphere. Oh, but sure. we have We're to hold already fa- marginalized, I, right? In but he's sphere. he is making the contention that 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 this is going to be even more important to hold fast to. And yeah, I, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I'm not saying that all of this, you know, metaverse, VR, virtual living stuff is bad. I'm I'm very much a real person, but I. Um, at least up until COVID worked primarily in, you know, I could do my job sort of anywhere. Mm-hmm. So COVID restrictions were completely unreasonable, even though to me, even though, um, and that's still in a minority. I can think of several coworkers now who think everything that we did was great and it's still Important. a problem and we yeah. all still need to do the things. Did you know, speaking of COVID restrictions, the did you know things. that China has now 180 degrees reverse course and is encouraging Chinese people to get infected so that they can reach herd immunity as fast as possible after having a zero COVID policy for three years. Mm -hmm. They finally have given up. And these people have lived in such lockdown lives that they're getting very, very sick as they're getting infected. Um I'm not sure. I don't I don't understand all the things going on with it because there's something that they're calling white lung where your lungs are supposed to show up dark on an x-ray and these people's lungs are showing up white right before they die on x-rays. Well, it's like we see all the reports saying how damaging the COVID restrictions were, not yeah. just purely to our physical health, but also our mental, emotional health. And yet people are still like, I was at Bible study this morning and they had the news playing and I, I have... I don't know that I, even my daily mailings, I've kind of just shut off. I've not ingested anything. And I realize it adds absolutely, and not my dad likes to push back on this because <laughs> he's a big news junkie. But you know what? It adds nothing to my world. I am missing literally nothing. Like, it's just like I, you know. And um, granted, you, you know, it's not always the most responsible thing. But that said, they were talking about the latest COVID variant and this and that. And I'm like, really? Like, really? It, it's here. It's, we're going to live with it. It's like the flu. There's always going to be a new variant. 
we're actually wasting energy and effort discussing these things. It's like, ah, oh, just stop, move on with life, go. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it's worthwhile to stay caught up in the news to a certain extent. Good job. I'll get all my worthwhile caught upness from you. And then. you'll get grumpy at me when I report it to you. No, I think that I. So well, you just have to report it accurately. Sometimes you'll accurately. mention something and I'll be like, that's totally You're wrong. Like you read that on the internet. And I, I got to go back and then I got to go look. The and the headline you gave me is not what's actually really going on. It's like, okay. Do you want to continue with this podcast? <laughs> well, yeah. Do this you is want what... me to go upstairs and cook dinner and this is what pe- Why be do you by want myself? To cook dinner but this is what people love no they don't love you being a jerk to me they think i'm smart they like me (laughs) they think that i do a good job of interpreting the news and the world around us yes i totally agree (laughs) i'm just saying sometimes you get your headlines just they're not the complete picture it's just like a partial picture and then you're like you read it on the internet i don't believe anything i read on the internet so i'm better than you i usually don't believe anything off the internet It doesn't mean I'm better than you. But we all know that this podcast is built around your brain. Great. I simply do the background okay, so, thing. Um, tee you up. Something I'm going to hold the tee and hit the ball. Contemplating a ton in the last couple of days is I had a friend send me, sort of ironic that I say this, send me a headline that I had not heard anything about. And she was like, what do you think of this? And I was like, I, Ooh, I actually... It? Uh, I don't remember the exact headline. It had something to do with the Ukraine and the U.S. government spending there or something like that. And there's a, you know, the the eternal question, right, is with regard to all the things going on in the Ukraine is why? Why Russia to the Ukraine? Why? What's going on there? What's going on with the, the gas pipe? What's going on? Why is the U.S. spending more there than we have on our own wars in the last like 50 years i mean all these whys like mm-hmm. and what's what's the connection between the bidens and their corrupt money and who what is actually going on with Zelensky? you know and why are we flying the ukrainian flag in the american congress i mean there's all these whys it's so so sketchy all of it is and yet there's real people really suffering there. I read in World Magazine just the other day about a father-son. The father is a, was a pastor Russian in, in Russian-occupied Ukraine. The Russian soldiers came. They found the son in the father's body days later in the woods, and there was evidence of extreme torture. Just, just horrible. So all the faithful, God-fearing pastors in Russian-occupied territory are watching their congregations flee and are basically not all of them. The ones featured in world were like, I'm going to stay and they're going to kill me. Hopefully they won't kill my congregation. Hopefully they'll just come for me, but I'm preaching now to my con. Anyway, all that to say just horrible human suffering going on in the midst of this global leader, utter sketchiness. And the, the response from my friend when I said, well, I don't know anything I don't know. What do you think? And she sent me this very long <laughs> World Economic Forum and BlackRock and all this stuff. And I, you know, as you do when you're reading stuff like this, you get this feeling of anger and also this feeling of angst and exasperation and hopelessness because I can't stop this, you know, German accented villain, <laughs> you know, who's telling us that we're all going to eat bugs and not underneath and like it. And, and I just, I, I was, sent to in my mind to psalm 2 where 
the psalmist says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And so I spent the around the new year. In fact, did you take the kids skiing on New Year's Day? I think you took the kids skiing on New Year's Day. I think I did. And, or was it, no, it was New Year's Eve. It was, I don't remember. It was New Year's Eve on Saturday. You took the kids skiing. And so I had the quiet, I had out the house to myself and I read the first 10 Psalms several times through. And, and then I went to, I'm sitting here with my James Montgomery voice, voice uh, commentary on the Psalms. And before I went to it, I spent some time thinking about Psalm 2 myself and actually came to conclusions totally different than what Boyce <laughs> says. But because um, I, I was like, you know, we in our life group, our small group at church, we just finished reading, studying Second Samuel or First and Second Samuel. It's Samuel. Sure. Date. Okay, so I actually... T- I actually told somebody, it was like, we finished you know, this morning. I was like, yeah, I think we finished first or second Kings. Samuel. Samuel. It I, was. I got it wrong. I was only there for a fraction of it. Though. Yeah. Well, the, what kept, kept striking me is, is David, as he's being pursued by Saul in first King or first Samuel, keeps saying what? I will not raise my hand against. The Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. So then you get to Psalm 2 and it's not explicitly labeled as a Psalm of David, but I keep thinking the king, the kings of the earth are plotting against the Lord's anointed. I was thinking, you know, so David consolidated the nation, the the nation of Israel, and was really Israel was economically, militarily stable, and maybe these surrounding kings are conspiring against David, who is the Lord's anointed. Now he's the Lord's anointed king, and so I thought, you know, as this is the the worship guide, the worship hymnal for the people of Israel, they had this had to have made sense to them when they're singing this in their worship settings. And so this is maybe how they're making sense of it. And Boyce says there's a number of clues linguistically in there that say that actually would not have made sense to them except to read it as a messianic psalm. And that's the impulse I was fighting against was immediately to jump to Jesus, that this this is about the kings of the earth conspiring against Jesus. And Boyce says, nope, this psalm is this psalm is about Jesus. And but there were a couple of interesting things about Psalm 2. First of all, Boyce uh makes the fairly strong case that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 used to be joined together. And there's some quotes from Jewish New Testament era people who refer to quotes from Psalm, what we now know as Psalm 2, but they call it the first Psalm. And and then there, it's a continuation of a theme, which Psalm 1 lays out two different paths to follow, right? The blessed is a man who follows God, and then there is who walks not in the way of the wicked, and then there's the way of the wicked. So Psalm 1 ends with, now I can't remember how the way of the wicked shall perish. God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Uh, Psalm 2 ends with the same word that Psalm 1 begins with. And that's a Hebrew poetic device to do mm-hmm. the, the bookends, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's both blessed or happy, uh, which is, I believe it's asher uh, in Hebrew. But 
Psalm 2 ends with, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 1 begins with, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So that's a linguistic clue that those are a package. And those two together are the interpretive framework for all of the rest of the Psalms. They're the introduction, if you will, to the rest of it. And so they're they're kind of they're meta to use a modern hmm. word. They're um and then Boyce also points out that that Psalm two is perhaps the most quoted as a messianic psalm in the New Testament. Let me see if I can find his list of explicit places where the psalm is quoted in uh oh again so here's another reason that he says it's not it's not about somebody like david uh when um psalm 2 says you are my son today i've become your father the author of hebrews in hebrews 1 5 says to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son today i've become your father um In ancient Near Eastern world, kings were considered sons of God. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it refer to a king as a son of God in that regard. Hmm. So the the Hebrew worldview was dramatically different from the ancient Near Eastern worldview in how they viewed their kings. There was as Reformed theologians would like to say, a very clear creator-creature distinction in the biblical worldview versus the other ancient Near Eastern worldviews. And so that's a clue that this is about the Messiah, not about an earthly king. Uh, Psalm 2 is frequently referred to in Revelation. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Uh, Revelation 12.5, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And anyway, um, there's lots of interpretations of this. I think Peter says that the rulers of the earth who plot together in Acts 4, they specifically say those rulers of the earth plotting together against the Lord and his anointed are Herod and Pilate. So in... Peter and John's uh, Thanksgiving prayer after they're released from the Sanhedrin, they specifically say that the Psalm 2 rulers who are plotting together are Herod and Pilate. Uh, Anyway, so I've been trying to make the jump from how did the original people who sang this psalm as an act of worship to God understand it, it's very clear that the New Testament writers understood this psalm to be 100% about Jesus. And then the reason that it's been sticking in my mind today is because uh, how what is our posture towards the rulers of the earth? And I guess where the segue from this is, is, your, is we're talking about the news. And so much of the news is overwhelming and leads to despair. And there's these rulers of our earth who are taking counsel and plotting things and covering things up. And we little peons sitting in our basement in front of a microphone in Billings, Montana, 
will probably never know this side of of eternity, the truth about all sorts of global global goings on. Are there big global conspiracies? Probably. I don't know. You know, there's people who are like, the government can't get its poop in a group for anything. Why would we think they could carry on these big conspiracies? And then there's other people who were like, oh, we didn't land on the moon. The the fact that there's even an outer space is a hoax for a global takeover that that they'll blame on aliens. I'm gonna try not to laugh at that. <clears throat> um the you know, I mean like in I mean I've become more and more skeptical of our government to the point now where people send me us documentaries about the CIA killing JFK and I'm like, yeah, it seems plausible. Yep. Actually. Mm-hmm. I need to watch that still, and I keep forgetting. Right. And I'm sure after we watch it, it will seem even more plausible because the people who put it together huh? did so. You know, I mean, all of these, there are people who live so deeply in conspiracy. And I could name you all these conspiracies that, but like, let's, I mean, truthfully, three years right. ago, I would have considered completely wild. And now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And the fact of the matter is, I don't have access to information that what let me ever know. So what do I do with the information that I do have in a way that allows me to live a faithful life that is grounded in reality and that does the things that God calls his people to do? God does not call his people to know what's going on in the kings of the earth who are conspiring together. God does call me to know who sits on his throne, who can't even be bothered to get up off of his throne to see what these puny kings of the earth are up to now. He sits on his throne and he laughs at them. And you, so, so I've, like I said, I've spent a lot of time in Psalm 2 in the last bit of time because I find it tremendously comforting that in a world there where there's so many global leaders and so many global things going on that I get these tastes of that drive me. And you guys know me that I'm kind of a bit of a prepper at heart. And I want I want to take care of my family. I want to be able to take care of other people in a time of need. And you want your husband to buy lots of guns. Well, <laughs> I want those guns to kill meat to fill my freezer. Um. You know, I mean, we all we all feel called to different things, though. You feel no. called to that, and I'm... No, I don't feel called to collect guns. I'm happy where I'm at. Um, no, but I... You know, what? what is our call in the midst of all of these global goings-on that we can't influence and that we can't really even know about? Our call is, if you keep reading in Psalm 2, and if especially if you consider it to be a part of Psalm 1, is is to walk in the way of the Lord. We know what, and then you look at what an exile lifestyle looked like. Uh, he, what is he has called you, O oh man, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Humbly. That means not feeling like you have to know all the things going on that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, Psalm 1, um, you delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on God's law. I can do that no matter what the WEF is doing. <laughs> I can do that no matter how much money the U.S. government is giving to BlackRock to rebuild in the Ukraine. I can do, I can live like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding my fruit in season and prospering where God has put me because I'm doing what God has called me to do in any particular moment. 
And then the other, so I, and then I listened last night while you guys were at judo. Vodi Bakum has a sermon on Psalm 2 that I listened to. Actually, I don't think it's a sermon. It's a message that he gave at a founder's ministry thing. And I know that Vodi is sort of a lightning rod. Some people love him and some people hate him. And I'm sort of somewhere in the middle where when he says good things, I love it. And when he says things I disagree with, I just move on with my life because I'm allowed to disagree with people without broadcasting it to the whole world. But um, but one thing that he pointed out is it's not just the kings of the earth and the rulers taking counsel and doing all these big conspiracy things against the Lord and his anointed. In this spiritual realm, you either love God and are on his side or hate him and are conspiring against him. Those are the two... In the spiritual economy. In the spiritual realm. Those are the two choices or two paths that you have to walk. And so, if you are not humbly walking with your God, you are part of the nations raging and the people's plotting in vain against the Lord and his anointed. And so, this psalm that I've been taking comfort in as a, well, God's in control, God's, you know, God... Um, you know, he laughs and he um, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury and, you know, kiss the sun. You'll break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, serve the Lord with fear, kiss the sun lest you be angry and you perish in, the, in his way. All of these things where I look at those rulers out there are also a warning for anyone who has not repented and trusted in God, because you are part of the conspiracy against the Lord and his anointed. If you are not for him, you are against him. And so this psalm turns into a call for personal repentance that not just, you know, hey, Klaus Schwab, kiss the sun lest he be angry. You will perish in your way, which is true. But also you and me, we will perish in our way because his wrath is kindled against us who have not repented to him. And and then there's this sweet ending to it for people who do turn in repentance that blessed are all who take refuge in him. You um, were... what? <clears throat> yeah. I'll have, this brings up another a, a different conversation we'll have to have at some point in time about repentance. But I read an article recently where basically the summary of a summary was we need to repent, and I'm like, of what? From what? Like, where's the sin there? Like, and it was kind of maybe a reform thing, but I was like, I just I didn't understand. Anyway, um, that's a whole other conversation. But we live but a lifestyle of repentance. Martin Luther said oh, yeah. Yeah. the Christian life is a life of. Repenting. They were using it in this, like this sort of catch-all as like, this is what you need to do. Just repent. If and my turn. people it's like, who are called by name, stop, my name stop. will humble themselves. And and like, I, if American Christians will repent like, hard enough. Like, yeah, it was just something about Donald it. Trump will be president again. Something about it rubbed me the wrong way. I don't even remember what the article was, but it was on, uh, it was on a, a major um, reformed article platform that I, I won't name. But... Um, <laughs> it's so funny. Well, you're speaking to every, to my whole perspective on this whole thing. That's why I can just ignore the news. Because it like, I I wonder if there's a, a desperation in people because they can't 
Um, they feel helpless. They don't know what to do. That they have to know. And so they spend all their time trying to know and ingest and understand to make sense of it because they can't, otherwise they feel helpless. It's the only thing they have control of. We, yes, technology in that way. I saw a concentric circles uh, like Venn diagram. diagram. It, well, it wasn't a Venn diagram, but but we, our brains in a sense, were not designed to know more than we can influence. And so... We have a, in fact, I'm fairly certain this was a Gospel Coalition article from years and years ago, but we have this, this desire to know, which, to know all things, to be omniscient, which is a, a, uh, an incommunicable aspect, or what's the caricature, not caricature, and in the trait of God. So, so God has communicable traits and incommunicable traits, meaning some of when we're made in God's image, we are made in knowledge, righteousness, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Uh, we are made in God's image in that we can reflect these things of who God is and his character. There are things about God that belong to him alone, being all-knowing, being all-powerful, uh, we, in a sense, are when we when we have access to all the news going on around all the world all the time, it gives us a sense of omniscience. And that feeds, here we are back in Genesis three, that feeds our desire to be all powerful, which we can't we can't know everything, and we can't be all powerful. And yet, if we do know everything, we feel a sense of, despair and helplessness or anger at not being all powerful Mm -hmm. because we've tasted what we feel like is one of god's attributes attributes that's the word i was looking for uh and and we we don't actually we aren't actually experiencing that attribute of god we just feel like we're experiencing being all-knowing and that gives us a desire to be all-powerful but those things both of those things belong to god and god alone and so it is actually very good for us to deliberately practice reminding ourselves that, yeah, we're not all powerful and we're also not all knowing and we weren't designed to be all knowing. Yeah. Goes back to the yeah. book, You're Only Human, which I haven't yeah. gotten to that part in so yet. I can you just can ignore the news. Blissfully tune out <laughs> and carry on with the tasks God has for me today. Okay. Um, as we close the show, I want to. Uh, I got two more things for you. The first one is um, I got a Christmas gift from your mom. mom. Your mom gave me a Christmas gift, and it's called "Be Thou My Vision." Uh, it is a, a daily uh, liturgical devotion by Johnny Gibson, and it is. Part Book of Common Prayer, part Catechism, part Machine Reading Plan, and it's all—it's just simply wonderful. It—it's kind of he find, he sat down and it, kind of during COVID, sat down and um, basically combined all these things I was trying to do on my own manually and put them together in a really co- cohesive uh, plan. So I highly commend this devotional to you guys i've done a few days in it so far 
And it's, well, I hate to be um, dramatic, but it's kind of life changing. <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, so it just, it's a, if it, he wanted to structure devotions like a church service. So I highly commend it to you. It's really, really good. Um, I bought my, about three copies as gifts from the Westminster bookstore. That's where I got my coffees, copies. So just cruise on over there. Um, no, no discount codes, no referral, anything, just pure. We just, we just think it's a good thing. There's an imitation leather one on Amazon that's currently 18% off. So it's imitation 20. leather, not like the cowhide leather I, I have right here. Is it? I wanted the cowhide, the real leather, because it's going to be highly used over many years, multiple times. Is my I don't know. Lord willing, is my. Um, hope. I'll send you this link off of my phone, just at least so people okay. know what you're talking about. And cool, I like it because I can link the WTS store one as well. Um, secondly, as we enter um, a new year of producing. Uh, this podcast just I personally want to let you guys know how much I enjoy um, giving my wife a platform she spends a lot of time at home buried in toddler kiddom doing you know really wonderful homemaking things but you're super gifted babe <laughs> and you've got a lot of education behind you and I, I enjoy uh, your cane box work and I enjoy this uh this platform of too busy to flush to give you an opportunity to convey some of those things. And even I, if I do get headlines wrong. Well, yeah, it's got a little spice in there somewhere. Um, you know, and, and it also, it like it, I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, I enjoy doing the back end thing and the recording stuff and the engineering side and all the, all the things. Um, so we do this, we both very much enjoy this, doing this podcast and, uh, we do it for you guys, and so uh, towards the end of last year, um, we had a listener uh, give us a call and leave us uh, this message. Hi, my name is Rebecca, and I am from Minnesota, and, and thank you so much for episode 114. I am um, older and um, uh, single due to divorce, and I am so appreciate the, the po- podcasting. I know you we have it on some other social media, but I do podcasts. Um, and I just appreciate the perspective of God's word and um, just the permission or the encouragement to grieve, to grieve what we um, had hoped and now are living up on a different reality than our hopes. Um, I think of some of my friends who are in the similar situations, and I'm actually going to share this podcast with because um, episode 114 because you Molly have such a unique and, and a biblical viewpoint of you know who we are in creation and and as as a woman you know I I thank the Lord that I have the uh, privilege of being a mom I'm a mom and a grandma so I, I praise God for that but not everyone can say that and there's grief about that and for those who are divorced and life has changed, there's grief about that too. So just the um, perspective that to grieve, I love that you said that, to grieve. Permission to grieve, grieve well, and um, but then yet again, um, that future hope that um, that it will be glory to the Lord for how he's gotten us through, um, how he has used our lives in ways we couldn't imagine 
because we have another thought in mind or another hope. But um, his design and, and his purposes are always fulfilled. That's his promise. So I just wanted to thank you for that. So I'm at that stage really in life where I'm trying to get rid of stuff, so don't feel like you have to send me anything. But I did just want to thank you for your uh, podcast and um, and your perspective. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rebecca. It's really humbling. Thank you for sharing that. And as you're talking, I was like, wow, did I say that? Oh, wow. Cool. It's just, it's hearing stuff like that, that like, you know, I mean, we do this because we enjoy it, right? And But also, life is hard. Life is really hard. And I feel like we're recognizing that the older we get, now that we're ripe old age of our mid-40s. But... um, I feel like there's not a lot of outlets out there where people from a biblical perspective just can say in a genuine but also lighthearted way that isn't overly snarky but also isn't just wallowing. Right. <laughs> that life is hard, people are weird and hard. Let's let's process it from a biblical perspective and so it's really encouraging and a blessing to me to be able to be even a remote blessing and encouragement to other people. Yeah, that's awesome. And so again, thank you guys. We we do this because we enjoy it, but when we're known we're doing it for you and with you guys, it just makes it that much more fulfilling and, and fun. So here's to uh what is this, episode one twenty one? Here's to no another idea. another year of being weird and hard. Yeah, processing the world and random reality podcasting sort of ways. So that said, if you do like uh, what you've heard, the biggest compliment you can give us still uh, right now is actually, you know, emailing us or texting us and saying how much you love us. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, One that helps the show (laughs) rather than just puffs up our heads is uh, leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network. Obviously the number one podcast network still in the world is iTunes. Uh, Apple Podcasts, so leave us a review there. Um, let us know what you think. Commend it to others. Pass it on. Share it with the world. It's super... Uh, we really appreciate that. It's a huge compliment to us. If you would like to send us an email, you can do so at tb2f at pm.me or you can um, jump on our Telegram group. That's easily the number one way people interact with both each other and us uh, and the content of the show and other things. Um, That link to the private telegram group will be in the show notes. And um, let's see if you want to leave us a voicemail and share a fun story or uh, something you'd like to share with other listeners of the podcast, you can do that by leaving a voicemail at 406-318-7136. I do screen all the calls, so don't expect me to answer, although I did answer with, I think it was Rachel. She called, and I picked up. <laughs> She's like, oh, hi. <laughs> I was not expecting that. So anyway, I might I might just do that for fun, because, well, I can. Um, other than that, um, if you jump on our website at Too Busy to Flush or tb2f.com, uh, you can find a shop with some swag. Buy some People Are Weird and Hard mugs. We do still have stickers. People Are Weird and Hard. Very simple square sticker. Good for coffee mugs, water bottles, or your car windshield, uh, laptop, whatever you want to put it on. You can buy those there as well. And then we also um, have a loosely 
I say this loosely because I haven't updated it in about six months. We have a loosely updated list of recommended items, things uh, on Amazon, you know, usually for the referral program. We make, I think we made $40 last year off Amazon. Yeah, so, you know, it's enough to pay for. Uh, we could a put Elise's pogo stick up there. She's a huge fan. <laughs> In fact, all the other kids are huge fans too. You maybe didn't know this, but um, I, I had a little talk with another one of our children about jealousy mm-hmm. before she opened her uh, birthday presents and was like you know you need to prepare your heart right now because your heart is going to get jealous we know this we, we sing this song it's every proven. year it's around the same time so let's prepare our hearts now to be rejoice with those who rejoice and uh, she did a pretty good job of it yeah she did I was quite impressed so alright guys well thanks for joining us we will uh, Lord willing be back with you again Next week. Next week. Take care.